From the moment of its discovery in 1975, Lyme disease has been one of those controversial illnesses full of scientific inconsistencies. There are two polarized medical camps, according to our guest. The dominant camp, believing that Lyme disease is hard to catch and easy to cure, and the other group asserting that chronic infection is very common. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunch, your host, and with me today is international Lyme disease expert, Dr. Ray Stricker. Dr. Stricker is the medical director of Union Square Medical Associates and the Allen E. Beer Center for Reproductive Immunology and Genetics in San Francisco. He serves as the president of the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society. Welcome, Ray. Thanks, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're looking forward to learning the latest about Lyme disease. And before we can jump into the controversial issues, uh, please fill us in on what is currently known about Lyme disease. Well, Lyme disease is caused by a type of bacteria known as a spirochete, which is a corkscrew-shaped bacteria that's transmitted by the bite of a tick. And ticks can be uh, tiny in size. The uh, one stage that's very commonly associated with the disease is about the size of uh, the period at the end of a sentence. And Lyme disease is very common in the Northeast and the upper Midwest and parts of California. But what we're seeing is that the disease has really spread throughout the country, and it's very difficult these days to predict the risk based on where you live. Ah, so any of our physicians might be seeing it in their practice. That's correct. It's been reported in every state except for Montana. Oh, <laughs> time to move there, huh? That's right. That's <laughs> the only place you're safe, I guess. Okay. So what of course, are the... I've seen patients from there, too, so I don't know. They just don't report them. Oh, okay. What are the most common symptoms that people present with? Well, the classic symptoms of Lyme disease are a tick bite and a type of rash called an erythema migrans rash, which is also known as a bullseye rash. It has the shape of concentric rings, and those features can be associated with a joint swelling or frank arthritis, uh, and that is the, the, the classic presentation of the disease. The problem is that only a small portion of patients actually present with those features, and if the disease is not recognized early, it then goes on to produce a number of symptoms in different organ systems, and it can be very difficult to diagnose. Well, let's back up and talk more about ticks. So where exactly do ticks live in the environment? Ticks like to hang out in uh, grass and leaf litter. That's the place that they're typically found, and they like to uh, sit on leaves along trails and wait for a host to come by, like a deer or uh, a human. And at that point, they will latch on to the host and start feeding. Oh. So it sounds like most of us might get exposed if we're um, hiking or walking through the woods, that sort of thing? Certainly that's true. I like to tell my patients that I have the healthiest patients in the world because they're the ones that were out hiking and camping and rolling around in the leaf litter. And that's how they got bitten by a tick and got their Lyme disease. Oh. Now, how common is this illness? Well, that's very difficult to say. The CDC reports about 20 to 25,000 cases a year uh, for the entire country. However, the CDC admits that that uh, number of cases is underreported by a factor of 10. So there may be as many as 250,000 new cases a year. Sounds like people don't often know that they've been bitten by a tick. How do you go about sleuthing this one out? Well, very often people don't recognize that they've had a tick bite, especially 
Uh, if it is a nymphal tick, which is the one that's the size of a poppy seed, if the tick bites them in an area that they can't see, like on their back or at the hairline, they may not be aware of that. And very often you just have to go by the history of exposure during you know, outdoor activities in an area that's endemic for Lyme disease. So I would think now would be the time you'd start seeing more of this when the weather's warmer? Absolutely. The, the peak period is spring and summer for most of the country, uh, starting in uh, April and May and going through uh, the end of August. In more temperate climates, like here in California, we really don't have much of a season. It's pretty much all year round. So is there a blood test that can help you diagnose Lyme disease? Well, there are a number of commercial tests that have been developed, and one of the problems with Lyme disease is that those commercial tests are very inaccurate. The sensitivity of the standard commercial testing approach is about 50%, which means that these tests miss about half the patients with Lyme disease. If we had an AIDS test that missed half the cases of AIDS, nobody would use that test. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, since this is Lyme disease for various reasons, that's what we're stuck with. So do you even bother with it? Well, there is a way around that, and that is to use testing through a laboratory that's proficient in testing for tick-borne diseases, and there are a number of those labs around the country. Uh, But unfortunately, the commercial tests that are widely available are not very useful. Now, you had mentioned that earlier that it sounds like there's an acute phase, certainly with the rash, but then there's a chronic phase if left untreated. Can you tell us more about that? Well, most of the patients that I see have the chronic phase, And there are two main appearances that 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 takes. One is uh, involvement of muscles and joints with severe joint pain, which can be migratory. And it's a very peculiar kind of joint pain because one day your knee may be killing you and the next day it's perfectly fine. And then it moves on to your elbow or your wrist or somewhere else. So it's a very peculiar type of joint pain that moves around. Muscle aches and twitching is very common in Lyme disease. And also peripheral nerve involvement with burning and uh, pain in the, uh, in the extremities is also seen. The other form of chronic disease uh, involves neuropsychiatric symptoms, and these can also be quite striking with uh, memory loss and cognitive problems. Uh, people can't remember where they live. They can't remember their middle name. Uh, and also they tend to have certain psychiatric symptoms, which confuses the picture. And often when they see a practitioner, they think, well, this, this person's just nuts. You know, let's send them to the psychiatrist. But that's all part of chronic Lyme disease. Now I'm worried that I'm missing a bunch of Lyme disease patients in my practice, too. What tips can you give those of us that may not see that many to, to, so we even think about Lyme disease in our differential? Well, Lyme disease should be in your differential if you see a patient who has a constellation of symptoms that don't really fit together according to any typical disease. Another tip-off is when you see a patient who's been to like 10 different doctors who haven't been able to make a diagnosis. That's very common as well. It's really the constellation of symptoms, and there are a number of symptoms that you see over and over when you treat Lyme patients. And for a general practitioner, it might be unusual to see that, but we see these kind of symptoms all the time in our patients. So you have to be very suspicious and have a high index of suspicion, especially if somebody's been in a tick endemic area. What is it commonly misdiagnosed as? Well, there are several other diseases that mimic Lyme disease, and these are sort of uh, wastebasket syndromes such as fibromyalgia, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic fatigue and, and musculoskeletal pain are very, very typical symptoms of Lyme disease. And in fact, there was a study of fibromyalgia patients a few years ago that showed that 70% of those patients tested positive for Lyme disease. So fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, 
uh, those are often labels that are really Lyme disease. Now, I, I think when I was in school, we were taught that just, what, a couple of doses of antibiotics cured Lyme disease. Is that still the thinking? Well, that's really the problem with the disease, that that is still the thinking. And unfortunately, that may be true for the acute disease when the patient walks into your office with the tick still stuck in his or her arm and the bullseye rash. Uh, then a short course of antibiotics uh, is often curative, and, and that's the end of the problem. But for patients that we've been talking about who have these chronic symptoms, short courses of antibiotics don't seem to work. And that's why the International Lyme and Associated Diseases Society has developed guidelines for treating these patients with chronic Lyme disease using longer courses of antibiotics. How long are we talking about? Well, that depends on how long the patient has been sick. And uh, often these patients come in with symptoms that have lasted months to years, and often it takes months to years to treat them. Months to years? Months to years. Are most physicians that patient? Well, most Lyme-treating physicians are that patient (laughs) because we know that that works. I mean, when you treat these patients, they really do get better. But you do, it needs a a lot of patience and a lot of uh, creativity to figure out the right combination of antibiotics to use. I'm curious about the disease uh, name, Lyme disease. Who is Lyme? Well, Lyme disease comes from the town of Old Lyme, Connecticut, which is where the disease was first recognized by a very observant housewife who noticed that all the members of her family were developing this type of bizarre arthritis. And uh, she went to the doctors at Yale and said, gee, you know, I think something's going on here. And they basically told her to go away. Mm. And then she went back and started asking around the neighborhood. And she found that a lot of her neighbors in that area in Lyme had the same problem. So then she went back to the people at Yale and said, excuse me, but I think there's really something going on here. And that's when uh, the people at Yale got involved, and that's how we have Lyme disease from old Lyme, Connecticut. But a patient actually was the one to figure it out. patient, Polly Murray, she's a housewife in in Connecticut who discovered the disease. She has a book out that's called The Widening Circle that describes the sequence of events. It's really a very entertaining book. So one more time, let us go through the most common symptoms that you may see, probably more of of the chronic symptoms. Right. Well, again, these are symptoms that mimic fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. You may have joint pains that are migratory, uh, muscle aches and twitching. Uh, You may have peripheral neuropathies. And then you may also have these neurologic syndromes with uh, memory loss and cognitive problems and then psychiatric problems that are all triggered by the illness. So I would think if you see cognitive problems, especially in a younger person, this really should raise a red flag. Exactly. And Lyme disease can also mimic more serious neurologic diseases, such as Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, or multiple sclerosis. And many patients who have been diagnosed with these diseases, especially when you hear the term atypical, that's always a tip-off. When you hear it's atypical ALS or atypical MS, you really have to be very suspicious that it could be Lyme disease. Another symptom is a Parkinson-type syndrome, and Lyme disease can cause Parkinson-like symptoms. And some uh, famous people who presented with Parkinson's disease probably have Lyme disease. Oh, like who? Well, we know one of them. He was a a child actor on TV, and he's now a spokesperson for the Parkinson's Disease Foundation. Interestingly, he had Lyme disease, but it supposedly went away. So that's a very interesting story. Oh, really? I'm not sure I can get into. (laughs) Right. No, I understand. (laughs) How did you get interested in it? Well, that's a a good question. It was totally by accident. I'm actually a hematologist by training, and I was working on immunology with the AIDS patients that we had here in San Francisco. 
and we were developing a test for AIDS, and we needed some control patients, so some of those patients happened to be patients with Lyme disease. Mm. And it turned out that these patients had a very peculiar abnormality in their natural killer cells. And this was uh, pretty much specific for the patients with Lyme disease. So we ended up developing this test that we use now to follow uh, Lyme disease patients and to monitor their treatment. And, of course, once I started getting into that, the floodgates opened, and I now have more than 1,000 patients in my practice who have Lyme disease. Wow. So you really are one of the world's experts. Well, I guess so. I actually can't compare to some of the people on the East Coast. <laughs> well, I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Ray Stricker. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.